Hello there, I'm John. No, I'm not John. <laughs> <laughs> There's like one thing I can get wrong with that. And there it is. Right. <clears throat> Hello there, I'm Tim and he's John and this is How to Murder Time, a podcast about games and things. Hello everybody. Watcher. How are you this week? I'm pretty frazzled, actually. Um, <laughs> I don't really know who I am. You're looking slightly red as well. Is. Did I catch the sun as well? Do you want me to catch, uh, fix that? Yeah, surprisingly, you did, considering the weather. Well, do you want me to fix it in post? Oh, all the weather. You can fix it in post okay. if you like, yeah. Um, yes, I, I've been hiking again, so I'm going to talk about that right now. Okay. Um, yes, that was yesterday, and I'm still knackered. I, 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 I thought I overdid it a bit. Um, I pushed a bit too hard and did 22 miles, which um, is a personal best. Um, and my feet really hurt, and I've got various blisters on there, despite the sock change. How many sock changes did you do? I did do? one sock change. I probably oh, should have done two. I took two, two, two spare pairs of socks, but I thought I didn't need it, and I was nearly at the end, but... Um, yeah, so basically I walked from Newbury to Reading along the Kennet and Avon Canal. Which very is, flat. Uh, it's very flat and quite difficult to get lost along. Yeah. Um, and I didn't get lost. I, there, was a, there was a couple of moments where I wasn't quite sure which river I was following because it goes all sort of snaky and stuff. Yeah, in, yeah. In places. But um, yes. See, yeah, it was, it was basically well, a twofold purpose, really. I mean, like I say, a canal following a canal path from one town to the next along obviously very flat and well maintained wide paths. Not technically a challenge. Can I just point out? Yeah. Very regular bus service and very regular train service. I was following the train lines for a large part of it, and the train was taunting me by going past very quickly and, yeah. and doing what, what took me about seven and a half hours. Uh, you could probably do about half an hour on a train. Um, oh, way less than that. Ten quid or so. Um, but yes, that's not the point. The point's to be out there, okay. to, be, to be improving yeah. myself and so on, and, and, and wrecking my feet, as it turns out. Um, yes, but there are two points. Well, start as, yes, personal best distance wise. I'm yeah. really trying to push to see how far I can hike in a day. And 22 miles is my. my it's quite impressive. It's quite impressive. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure I can actually hike 22 miles in a day, though, to stoke my feet and, 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 and how, how I'm hobbling today. Um, I obviously will recover, but I think prob well. probably 15 miles is more of a sweet spot, I think, for the hiking, because, you know, that's that's when you start to really start beginning to feel it 15, it 18 up. miles in. I don't know if you do build up. Oh, uh, you do, yeah. I don't I don't know yeah. though. I mean, well, I mean, I did. Was it eighteen miles? Was it to Farnham? That yeah, you were fine. I was, and I barely able to walk at the end of it though, which you found hilarious. That was quite funny. Came to give me a lift back, but that time. But yeah, um, yeah. But also testing my new anorak. There was, yeah, you really there was were. all kinds of weather yesterday. Pretty much everything from like blazing sunshine to torrential downpours uh, throughout the day in varying stages. Also, a bit of an experiment with my phone, uh, with it which has a little sort of video recordy thing. As every phone has, for and the it's last got a camera years. on it as well. It's amazing what they can do nowadays. Um, so I you'd be surprised to learn that sales <laughs> and normal cameras have plummeted. <laughs> I took various snippets and and, lo and, and logged it into what I was what I'm calling the worst episode of Coast ever, um, which you might. Have to try and cobble together and see if you can put that on the show. I don't know. There, there, there'll be a video sometime <laughs> in the next couple of weeks if there's anything salvageable. Because <laughs> I listened to a clip uh, when you dropped the footage off yes. and you were ranting at a squirrel. That was towards the end. It does get very heart of darkness, I have to say. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, yeah, but I thoroughly enjoyed the day apart from the feet, feet hurting at the end. It was it was very pleasant. I saw lots of uh, not long boats, narrow boats. Narrow boats yes. That's a mistake you don't make <laughs> twice, tell you. Long boats worry, narrow <laughs> boats fight. <laughs> yes, canal boats, barges, whatever what have you um yeah and lots of uh, one foot in front of the other and ruminating at, <laughs> and, and shouting at the sky how and far did you get philosophy and how far sorts. did you get before you wondered why you started um yeah like i say about 15 18 miles in you're starting to feel like it, i quite like it to be over now um but of course you know you set yourself a route and the train station is at the far end and you, you know you don't get to go home unless you finish it so that's a bit of a motivation yeah. certainly i really enjoyed it you have though. these things called taxis well quite there's a great many i mean to be honest most of the signs along this route were for cycles you know yeah. bicycles <laughs> so perhaps <laughs> dig out the old mountain bike from the shed and see if i can uh, restore that but no i think well because it's all to do with the southwest coastal path uh, attempt which i've yet to begin um but the stages for that are all sort of between 10 and 15 miles oh, that's fine. on a day yeah but it's the it's the day after day after day and i don't think i could do any hiking today to be honest i've just totally knackered myself so i worry a bit about my capability practice. to do sustained practice 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 Sustained smaller hiking, I suppose, yeah. I don't know. I, uh, it's practice. I don't know if my feet will toughen up necessarily or whether there is just some kind of physiological upper limit I keep hitting with all the blisters and stuff. I mean, like I said, I've changed socks and stuff. I don't know. I have to have to experiment and practice a bit more. But, yeah, um, yeah good day out and maybe there'll be some video. Who knows? 
Um, but yes, what did you talk about? I think I'm talking about a game. Uh, Forza Horizon Three. Are you still doing those? They just released a DLC. Okay. Um, called the Hot Wheels DLC. Hot Wheels, the little yeah, little push car things. Yes. All oh, right. It's kind of about you know the Hot Wheels tracks. Oh, the the, loop, the loops and, yeah. and like little swirly garages. Imagine and stuff. yeah, an island, a nice sunny island off the coast of Australia. Yeah, okay. Which had this track all over it. <laughs> Is it literally the little toy cars with the, the plastic tracks and the raised edges? No, it's full-size cars, Okay, and the tracks are scaled up to full-size. <laughs> so there are loop-the-loops? There are loop-the-loops, oh there my are God. everything. There's little speed boosts and stuff. Okay. And, uh, it is arcade heaven. It, it's like Stunt Car Racer, mm. but fast and fun. Oh, wow, that's going back. Stunt Car yeah. Racer, that's for the Amiga. That was one of the sort of very early pseudo-lifelike racing games yeah lots of crazy track yeah if, if you do you remember a couple of years ago when uh, a fast and furious game came out forza horizon 2 had a standalone game which was uh, a fast and furious spin-off okay uh, licensed thing and remarkably for a licensed film game one it was free for to start with mm. don't know if it still is but also it was incredibly good because all they did was they took the forza horizon gameplay Ramped it up around the plot of you needed to gather all the cars they were going to use in the film. <laughs> and so you just basically had to race for the cars. I think I vaguely remember you talking about it. Yeah. yeah. And it was great fun and it worked because the subject matter absolutely worked for the IP they were using it on. Mm. And in this case, it is yet another example of they can take an IP, which when you think about it, it will be a bit dumb. To, you can't do a, a toy car racing game into a serious uh, racing game. But apparently you can. Right. There's, there's a wonderful comment uh, by uh, the lady who runs the events during it, which says, um, um, I asked the guys how they were keeping all these tracks up in the air, how they uh, without gravity getting in the way. <laughs> and uh, they just asked how we were rewinding time. <laughs> Touche. Yeah. yeah, it's fantastic. Just throw physics out the window and in the favour of fun. Yeah, know? I do have some. Uh, observations. Okay. This is mainly aimed at um, the Hot Wheels toy company. Yes. Who is that? Is it Mattel? Mm, I don't know. Maybe. Anyway, uh, your track's too shiny. Well, it's meant. To, is it meant to be giant yeah, toy cars? It, no, it's real cars on giant toy tracks. <laughs> <laughs> Although there are versions of the tiny toy cars. You know, oh. the, the the hot rod. And yeah, yeah. All the iconic cars. There's versions we, of them. Yeah. Which are actually real cars. Playground swapsies and stuff. Yeah, uh, because of the nature of what you're driving on, the track can be a little bit gripless. Oh, does that? mean what in terms of actual performance and handling or just aesthetic shininess oh no uh, the aesthetics is wonderful uh, the way the sun shines through it and the light disperses <laughs> through the plastic so it glows <laughs> it is fantastic but it's made out of plastic and your car it does not have the same sort of grip you have on good old-fashioned tarmac okay so a new kind of racing really new skills and new challenges yeah. to learn oh, to go with it there are some bits where uh it'll give you a speed boost just before a nice sharp turn Mm. which is a real pain in the ass if you're doing it <laughs> because you have to be able to do that turn properly otherwise you're just going to ram against the wall and maybe but flip a lot off of these, into the sea. A lot of these toy plastic tracks, the whole point is that you just go as fast, you, do, you whiz the car as fast as you can and you use the side walls to go around, yeah. which, I think, which I thought would appeal to you specifically. Oh, it does. It really does. Mm. Um, it works up until the point where you're no longer using the side walls to go around uh, right. and you're using the side wall to make you spiral off into the <laughs> water. <laughs> It sounds sounds bonkers. It is it absolutely bonkers and absolutely fantastic. <laughs> it doesn't change anything else about the game. You've still got the same sort of things like races and speed cameras that you've mm. got to beat a certain speed for and um, bucket list challenges where you have to drive from A to B as fast as you can or whatever. Mm. And it it all just fits perfectly. And they've taken this other IP, like the Fast and Furious, and just turned it into something which is joyously fun and absolutely fits. Sounds It, it sounds... It sounds yeah, significant. You know, okay, you expect a DLC to come along and there'll be a whole load of new tracks and a few cars and whatever and more of the same. But this this sounds like a, a whole new mode, essentially. A sort of, but it, it it's not. It is, but it isn't. Mm. Uh, the, the last DLC they did, which was the um, uh, Snowy Mountain one, yeah. which was basically snow rallying. Okay. So all that was, it, you go off to a new area, it's all snow. And all the tra tracks are just up the side of a hill. Yeah. Um, this is, yeah, you go, you hit 
zoom off to another area. It's just in New Ireland in the middle of nowhere. And it just so happens that some other roads are up in the air <laughs> doing loop-the-loops. Does it and have actual, jumps. actual loop-the-loops? It has actual loop-the-loops. Right. Does Physics that... may be tweaked. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I was about to say, I don't know a lot about cars and racing. Is that actually possible? It is possible. What, to loop the loop a real car? on a, on a Assuming a track was constructed yes. that could hold itself If you up. had a Formula 1 car, yeah. or anything, or an LMP1 car, anything with a sizable amount of grip... It's doing enough acceleration to it's doing, defy it's gravity doing for the upward mover. On the, uh, um, on the aerodynamics yeah. to keep it into the ground, so it would go upside down. What the, some of the really fast uh, hypercars, yeah. uh, the, there's a McLaren, for instance... When you get above a certain speed, mm-hmm. the rear spoiler has to disengage. Mm. Otherwise, it will snap the rear axle. It, push, well, it pushes the car down. It push the car the down and it so would, hard it, it would break. Wow, okay. And obviously, that, that, that particular force would apply even if you were upside down, yeah. as long as you're going Yeah, because it's just a wing. It, it's, it's, yeah, a wing. Yeah. Well, it's working the opposite way to an aeroplane wing, yeah. but if the same force is involved. Yeah. I did it in an old BMW 5 series, which does not have these aerodynamics. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to search YouTube or something, see if I can find a video of this actually happening in real life. It's a thing. It's possible. Everyone knows it's possible, but no one will put their car up. No one's actually... <laughs> hmm, OK. But nobody will drive the car and no one will lend well, the car. I suppose part of the problem would be the physics of... You know, the, phys- the reality of the track construction. Yeah, it would have to be upside down. Being able to for... build an, an, a loop-the-loop that would, would hold, the, hold the strength well, and weight. What you would do is you would have... Uh, a tunnel, basically, a nice yeah. tunnel where you can. You've seen the Italian job. Oh, yeah. Where you go do loop that a spiral one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, where you just go up and hold it there and then come down. Yeah. They don't do that in the Italian job, do they? I know they sort of go up and you know do a lot of that. I believe. I, don't, I, don't, I believe I don't in the remake it. they may have. I don't, oh right, okay. Yeah, but there's lots of CG about in films these days. There is. I don't know. But I, I know. reckon that's the best way to do it. And unfortunately, no one will give me the funding to do it. I'll give it a go on the way home, and okay. we'll, I'll let you know. Hmm. <laughs> but yeah, no, it is the absolutely one of the most fantastic DLCs for any game I've it played for a long time. Fun. It's fun. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of getting a Burnout Paradise vibe from it. It's very Burnout Paradise. Yeah, which is about the only racing game I've personally ever enjoyed. It's, it's yeah. just because it's a bonkers playground, and I just don't care about speed and time trials and it realistic physics. Yeah. And Unfortunately, it doesn't have what Burnout Paradise had, which was so much care and attention put into the city design mm. that all of the routes just came together into this one orgy of knowing where to go would make you faster yeah, and it'd yeah. be fun. This is still point to point with no so they are still no knowing that if you hit this job here, you're going to go up there along the uh, freeway for a while and then just jump off the other side. So it's not really a sort of open world drive them out sandbox. It's it w- still a series of... It's an open world uh, map yeah. with a series of point-to-point races on it. Okay, fair enough. Which, yeah, there, there's a little bit of um, choice-taking you can make, but it tends to just be, do you take this bit of road or that bit of road and then going to come back together again? Okay. Although there are some options which may play out on some of the races we haven't seen where you have a road going over the top of another one mm-hmm. where you can actually jump down to that one. Yeah, and I don't know if any of the races actually encourage that. Hmm. I haven't seen any of them. <laughs> You'd probably get told off. Yeah. So why haven't we seen a Burnout Paradise sequel or spiritual successor or something? Is there such a thing? Uh, no. Uh, well, what happened was Burnout Paradise. Was it not popular? It was popular, but hmm. it. What happened was the team uh, was bought up by EA a while ago, and then they made Paradise. It's like Criterion. And, right? Yeah, Criterion. Yeah, they were bought out and just. Told to go yeah. and make Need for Speed, and, and then they were put to Need for Speed, yeah. and then they made a Need for Speed game, which was basically Burnout Paradise Two, and then they were not allowed to make another Need for Speed game like Burnout Paradise Two. <laughs> so they keep trying to make it. Yeah. Wow. And now the original uh, creators of Burnout, the original founders of the studio, yeah. have just made a new game based entirely on Crash Mode. The, well, I, I, yeah, I did enjoy Crash Mode, I and mean, Crash Mode really fell by the wayside in Burnout Paradise. But that was the, the Burnout Paradise would be the perfect game if it had a Crash Mode. Yeah, it had a Showtime thing. It had a stupid just, bounce along the road. You could road just flip and, mode and then just start rolling the car yeah, down. Yeah, that, that really wasn't worth it. No, no. That, that was basically an exercise in finding enough buses to bounce on. Yeah, yeah. But the original Burnout games prior to Burnout Paradise were essentially about trick shots, largely. I yeah. mean, there were some races there, but the star event was this, yeah, a particular. Crash 
crash junctions, you know. Which well, I started with normal races, spe- then I went to crash junctions. Yeah, yeah. Very specific setups with, you know, ramps yeah. and, and, the, and this, this one this particular junction with traffic coming in at particular rates and you have to hit it at exactly the right sort of timings to get the most amount of damage and stuff. It was, yeah, like pool trick shots, but with cars. And that sort of fell by the wayside in, in Burnout Paradise in favour of the open world race yeah. everywhere. Which worked really well. Which is really good. I don't know. I think it's a case of... Somebody needs to step up and make a new Burnout Paradise star game. Arcade race it, racing to. with a beautifully put together world which just constructed perfectly. Yeah, yeah. And that's yeah, somebody needs to make Mad that. Max? No, even that's an open world. It's an open world, but that, it's not. That's an open world Ubisoft like. That's yeah, not. Yeah, it's not really about the racing, I suppose. I don't know. That, that had balloons instead of towers. That was the only difference. <laughs> I need to give Mad Max a go, certainly. You really should, it is. It seems <clears> to but, um, yeah, I'd love to see a spiritual successor to Burnout Paradise with that key you know, design direction rather than this, oh, you know, they bought out the studio, now let's just keep making Fast and Furious tie-in games or Cops and Robber Chase games or, you know, tr- or traditional dull technical races based on real-world race courses, which, yeah. you know, has an audience, certainly, but not me. I'll make one. Uh, all right, yeah, okay. you do that. No one else is going to, I'll have to. <laughs> Step up to the plate. <laughs> Fair enough. No one will find me not worthy. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to talk about Elite Dangerous for a bit. Okay. Because uh, we're still playing that on the Tuesdays. That's the Tuesday game. Uh, we're, we're, we're doing all right. We're still finding stuff to do in there. We, we did Smuggling Week the other week. Oh, That was Uh-oh. a lot of fun. Well, you've got these engineers, you see. Now, I'm, this is a Horizons-only feature. You have to pay up for the DLC, which is fair enough. You know, ongoing development. You get what you pay for and such. doesn't seem like an exploitative arrangement. So, yeah, I recommend those. And you've got these engineers, which are essentially quest NPCs. I mean, it's it's a kind of mid-term directed content in a game which really doesn't have much otherwise. Yeah. There's a lot of very sort of throwaway faction, rinse and repeat local missions you do to earn money, but there's no large-scale story, there's no you know episodes, this, that and the other. It's not that kind of game, and I don't think it was ever really setting out to be. They, they were rebuilding Elite and have done a very good job. Yeah. But you've got these engineers that have been added, sort of a long, well, reason, quite a long time ago now, about a year, I suppose. Uh, and they're, each of them is like a named NPC who you know, is about 20 or so of them and they're all scattered around human space and each of them essentially opens up the ability to customise and tweak and improve your various subsystems on your ships but they'll only talk to you if you carry out a variety of different tasks and these are great because they are a very uh, incentivised directed way of getting people to try all these different sorts of aspects of gameplay in, in that are available in the game so we wanted to talk to one called The Dweller okay who specialises in in laser weapons, which, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of fixed beam lasers. So my Diamondback Explorer's medium gunpoint has one of those on. So I thought, right, we need to get this unlocked because we'd already done the blasters guy. Uh, But the Dweller wants you to have smuggled to five different black markets. Oh. Yes. Yes, because um, in your in your little side panel with all the stats of, of, of your play session and everything, it keeps track of how many markets you've dealt with, how many black markets you've dealt with. Yeah. Uh, and so basically all of the stats that are in that side panel, they feed into a lot of these different uh, engineer unlock requirements. So say, for example, Felicity Farcia, who's one everyone goes for. I think that's very early on. Everyone's It's available to everyone quite early on. And if you get to scout rank of Explorer, she'll start talking yeah. to you. And scout rank is fairly straightforward. You just have just to ping do, stuff every time. Yeah, you ping stuff. It doesn't take a long time to get to scout. Then So that will unlock access to her. Then sh- to, to actually... So that unlocks, yeah, that's that that that's unlocks the invitation, and then to unlock the engineering itself is as usually a second task, and that second task was go off to the Pleiades and get a rare material, bring it back to them. Talked about that on previous show, but so but that's an example of it, and obviously once that's done, she'll then start tinkering with your frameshift drive, which is very good. I, mean, I can currently jump forty light years or so wow. in my uh, <laughs> in my Diamondback Explorer, which is good. Um, some of the high end tweaking and that na- of that nature can get up to like seventy light years with yeah, but you have to really go mad yeah. and start taking guns off and you know, using using equipment one slot smaller than you should for your <laughs> ship just to try yes. and get the mass down yeah <laughs> Um, but yeah, so we so yeah we've been unlocking unlocking a few of these. We did a big old road trip to the Pleiades to get the meta alloys and unlock that, and everyone's been sort of tinkering about. And of course, once you've done the unlock, you can then return to this person anytime you like and submit some more of the materials and keep rolling the dice on the uh, the engineering yeah. on the tweaking, and you work your way up ranks of of rep with that engineer each time you do more work with them, um, allowing you access to bigger and bigger upgrades. Of course, each of the upgrades come with downsides as well. You know, so it's a question of you know your your upper use 
useful stat and lower uh, a not so useful yeah. stat on a module and hopefully that lowering is not as bad as as much as the upgrade you get and, you know you can keep rolling dice to aim for the perfect thing there's secondary effects as well so like some of the lasers and guns and stuff you can add thermal effects to minigun bullets oh which is interesting because you'll see when, when they're firing you can see these red sparks when they hit and stuff like that there's a laser modification that if you get a really good lucky dice roll adds healing effects to you or them to, to you Okay, not well, there. No, not, well, to the laser. Oh, because so if you shoot them and... If you shoot the... No, if you shoot your friends oh. with this beam laser, it will heal their shields. Okay. And it still does damage to the enemy. Oh, so it knows. Go. Yes, yes, it's some... Um, okay. it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's not just technically doing less damage on... <laughs> it, it's probably problems. quantum or something. But no, basically, it gives you a modification. I mean, it's, you have to keep rolling the dice to get lucky with it. But you can also spend your reputation rank, the five little hexagons there. You can just literally burn two ranks of that and bump yourself back down to three and choose one of these super yeah. mods as well. Which is, you know, and then you just have to keep working your yeah. way back up with the rank again. So it's not, not that difficult to actually kit your ship out in a significantly different and improved way to the stock gear. And some of the, I mean, just looking at the cumulative effect of all these mods, it must, it's vastly altering ship characteristics, yeah. you know, doubling stats, halving others, you know, and adding entirely new things like, yeah, for example, a healing laser or thermal or kinetic effects to, to whatever weapons. <clears throat> Very impressive. So anyway, we got, we wanted to do the dweller. We were trying smuggling, which so Ooh. smuggling basically. So there's there's various ways to go about it. Obviously, if you grab barrels uh, you find out in the in the wild in the uh, unknown signal sources or just lying around on planets pretty much any abandoned cargo is illegal to take yeah. and, and sell uh, including if you blow up p pirates in combat or if they eject cargo or whatever i think i think you if you jettison your own cargo and and make sure you use the abandon option then it removes your ownership from the tagging so which means someone can legally pick it up and take okay. it so that's okay so you can drop cargo for people on purpose but cargo as from wreckage and so on typically comes out as illegal salvage so you can pick it up but then you suddenly you have to worry about being scanned by the police and so on also you can go to various faraway places and buy actual um, proper proper illegal narcotics and what have you we, we were dealing in onion head we, we were drug smugglers because because apparently onions are, are a bad thing or something. wasn't onion head a character in proper the rapper i don't know there's, there's probably some kind of some kind of in joke that i didn't quite get but yes there's just, there's various head. <laughs> there's various stuff called onion head different varieties of it as well which is apparently some in-game drug and you can buy it in certain places and take it to other places and sell it on the black market. Okay. Um, but of course, you're carrying one, you're carrying contraband. So when the the system patrol vessels do the the scan thing, your little triangle scan, incoming scan, yeah. they'll see you. And if they find the 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 stuff, then uh, suddenly it all goes up. Bounties of uh, ahoy, open fire. Next thing you know, that. you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Yeah, yeah, and and probably docking positions revoked. I'm not quite sure. So you have to try and well, there's there's various ways you can go about it. So you find so obviously the you can use the little outposty type stations, you know, the ones that are just a cargo container with an exterior docking yeah. port. Um, so some of those have got black markets, and there's almost no scanning at all that goes on with those. So that's quite a you safe way to do system, it. Do you? Yeah, well, it needs to be a black market. Yeah. Whereas yeah. I imagine anarchy system don't they have, just a, have market. a market. Yeah, they just have a market, exactly. It does have to be illegal. So you have to actually find a system where it's illegal. It does actually warn you when you jump to a system and you're carrying illegal goods, you get a warning in red, yeah. and you can push J to cancel if you want. So, you know, you don't... You don't stack. One of the problems I always have with Elite, uh, well, no, with, with EVE Online specifically, is that it was back in the bad old days, certainly it's probably, I hear it's much better now, but back in the bad old days, it was almost impossible to work out if you were breaking laws or you were allowed to shoot people. Or, well, you'd find <coughs> out quickly enough. You'd find out, yeah. Well, no, you'd find out because people who really understood the game well would, would game it in your, in their favour and yeah, you'd be trick, trick you into breaking the law. You, so you, they could yeah, you'd find out you exploded. There's a lot of that. I mean, from what I understand, EVE, these days, there's a lot more pop-ups. Are you sure you want to do this? And lots of warning thingies and, and cool-down timers and things in the corner. So people... See, I, I don't like the idea that people get killed because they don't understand the rules properly. I like the idea that people can take risks informed, you know? Yeah. So, yes, have a pop-up. Yeah, explain to people what you're about to do will we'll get you killed if you do it wrong. Hey, do you want to continue? And yes, you can push yes, and then okay. If, if you get ganked or whatever, that's that's your business. You had, you had the warnings. It's not because you didn't understand or you were tricked. You knew what you were doing and you got... What you what could happen to you? Anyway, so uh, yeah, so you you jump into these uh, systems with uh, with your onions and you get sidle up to the station. So yeah, if you've got the little exterior outpost ones, relatively easy. Slam into dock, 
get yourself inside, and then just sell through the black market menu. Yeah. And that'll be a plus one on your, you need five of these done. You have to have five different stations. We were doing Coriolis stations, though, much more tricky proposition, letterbox and everything. Yeah. Um, so usually... Do you, you scan inside it? No, I think you're safe once you're through the letterbox. Okay. I've not seen any scanning happening inside. But there's usually quite a lot of federal or system authority vessels floating around outside the dock. And, and so I don't know if the station itself periodically tries scanning it. But I don't think so. there's two ways to deal with this. One, just slam on the... Uh, yeah. Just go for it. <laughs> so basically, you do still have to request docking permission. You can't just par- barrel in there without asking for permission because then you'll get the you know, loitering warnings and attack and bounties for that. So you, you, get, you, you appear at the station, you get to within 7.5k, ask for permission, then line up on the letterbox, hit that burners, go, go, go. <laughs> and then you have to come to a crash stop between <laughs> the letterbox <laughs> and the back wall of the station. Uh, typically, if you're doing like you know 500 metres a second through the letterbox, they... They, they, get, they, they get quite shouted. Well, quite, yeah. It's, it's quite fraught. You have to come to a crash stop and slam down on the uh, the pad. This is some of the, some of our team were doing that. I think they just about managed. I didn't see anyone <laughs> splash into the back of the station, so that was good. Well, the other alternative is to go silent running. So pushing backspace, I think, by default, will essentially just shut all your heat vents. Yeah. It's a silent running mode. You can access it from the, the side panel as well as a toggle. And yeah, literally what that does is that closes down all your heat vents and that little jaggedy bar down the, down the other bottom corner above your fuel tank, which shows your your pro, your sort of heat Your profile. noise. Yeah, noise. That goes to a flat line. And it, you, everything goes, it actually does go quiet as yeah. well. You can hear it. So that's brilliant. So yeah, but at that point, your heat now starts to rise because <laughs> no, the heat is not actually leaving the ship at all. And you've got various systems that are generating lots of heat. So prior to doing that, you want to make sure you've turned off all non-essential systems. Um, when you go into silent running mode, your shield will deactivate anyway, yeah. which means you've got to be a bit careful with the letterbox and landing pad because <laughs> you can't make many mistakes. But, um, but I did deactivating so your module list on the side panel lets you t- toggle pips on and off for various systems um if you turn all your weapons off you can get away with turning pretty much everything if you turn life support off then it will switch over to the life support oh, module and if you've got a good and if one. you bought yeah exactly. this is the reason you might buy an a grade life support yeah. system because that then starts a countdown yeah that, um, that 15 minutes is nothing when you're in a fight but... the a grade is 25 minutes yeah. whereas the e grade i think is like two minutes yeah <laughs> But, <laughs> but if you're running silent running, you've, your heat's going up at a certain rate as well, so you haven't got 25 minutes. Um, but you can turn off various modules to slow the rate of that heat going up. And I don't know what I was doing. I was just sort of winging it from things I'd read on forums or whatever. I shut down most of the stuff, switched to silent running, and apparently the Diamondback Scout and Diamondback Explorer are very good smugglers. I've accidentally bought the right ship for the <laughs> job. Yeah, I, I like them because they're just good, fun, all-purpose, small, short-range ships. But... The um, yeah, when you when you switch to silent running, they they dropped about twenty percent cold, and then they'll slowly go up. And I managed to get I, we did about five different stations, and in silent running, I managed to get from arrival in arrival outside the starbase to landed well before the uh, the yeah. needle got anywhere near the top. The you can actually augment all that with heat. Uh, the heatsink launchers, which is one of these external modules, it basically it just fires a thing off the out, which dumps your heat yeah. into a clip of of something or other, a bit like probably a bit like Mass Effect 2's weapons. I don't <laughs> know, but so that you can use. But the trouble is, you only get three charges of that before you have to you know, get them rearmed. Yeah. So you have ammunition on those, and you can only fire three. But to be honest, if you haven't landed within three goes on the heatsink, you're probably doing something wrong as well. But um, I wasn't. I didn't even have to launch the heatsinks at all. So I don't know whether I just haven't. I've got, I've got quite a cool running ship, or whether the Diamondback itself is a great. Or maybe ship you to found your vocation. I'm just very good at smuggling. Yeah, it's great because as you're coming in, you know, you get the 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 um, traffic control radio voices and yeah. stuff. They actually you want they actually notice you disappear. Yeah, yeah uh, you, we've lost you off your scanners. Please acknowledge. <laughs> <laughs> they start to sound quite panicked. And I'm smirking as I sidle on through the letterbox. Of course, I, I, presumably no one's actually looking out the window doing visual inspections. But, Have you uh, got one of your black paint jobs on? I I did remember to turn the headlights off. Ah. I'm very sneaky. I wonder if that actually gets noticed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But um but yeah, I mean we managed five of those. Um managed to and because we combined it with a rares run because the, the onion head stuff is essentially a rare commodity yeah. as well. So we went about hundred light years to go and pick a load up, brought it back, and then we're just dis- dishing out a bit here and there. And so I was yes, yeah, so I was part of the problem. I was a dealer. But um, How much you make? Quite a lot actually. It's a million or two, million and a half, I yeah, think, for, for all of those. Uh, and unlocked her. But yeah. unlocked the dweller, which is yeah. more important. So then his second rank is give me half a million credits. 
Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right, here you are. <laughs> and then after that, yes, I, I was starting to get my laser. I can start modding my laser to improve damage, improve fall off. I think I went for range actually with that with the beam. Oh, laser. yeah, actually that. Yeah, I can yeah, see that. Yeah, just improving the range, and I think he did scanners as well, which was a bonus. So we got the scanner tweaked as well. Um, got the range of that up to about twelve kilometers, ten, twelve. Oh yeah, yeah. It's about six by default. That's usually. very useful. It, and even an A grade, so yeah. about six kilometers. It's remarkable how short range your little radar HUD it is. is in an, in a uh, in a res. Yeah, I, I, I know some of those combat areas we've done. Yeah, uh, the, the size of the uh, radar is such the limiting factor of finding it someone to really shoot. It really is. You can see gunfire happening in the yeah. distance. You know, you can see the lasers, but you've got no idea on the scanner what's going on, and you've got really quite close to them to actually realise. To you know, when most of your weapons have got like a two or three kilometre range, your scanner goes six at yeah. top with stock. So, but you can get it. You can get it engineered up to about ten or twelve k, which you know, greatly helps pick and choose your engagements a bit more in dogfighting and stuff. So yeah, so that was good. We I think we did a bit more. Uh, there was another one. I can't remember who it was now. But there was there's one that does shield mods, and we're quite keen on looking at that. He wants us to have dealt with fifty markets. So that's just normal commodities trading, but 50 of them is quite a big target. Uh, I'm not, so well, that'll I'm, happen normally, surely. Well, I don't know, because you, you tend to get into a bit of a habit and a pattern. You, Because the way the faction rep works, it's advantageous to yeah. stay in the same system and work yeah. for the same people over and over and over, and they will only send you to certain specific locations you know, within a certain radius. Over, So you could, you could be playing for months and months and find that you've only dealt with, like, 12 markets. But if you were to, say, load up full of water... Oh yeah, yeah, you and can, just go on a trip. You oh yeah, yeah. It's easy enough to do. It's, it's this. This really isn't a challenge. It's just remembering to actually make a, an effort of it. Whereas your normal sort of gameplay wouldn't. Do, I mean, I only got about thirty-one, and I've been playing since it launched yeah. on and off. So it, you, you have to actually go out of your way to do fifty different markets but it's not an arduous task it's quite quite uh, quite a quite a casual well, one that and way. everything in that game is so relaxing so it is well i don't know combat, except the combat <laughs> hazardous res sites are quite challenging we've been doing some of that the the following week so we thought we'd do tip in towards a community goal i can't even remember which one it was it was i think it's one of the ones to do with canon interstellar who's this player organization who are really into the law and everything and they were basically been granted to, i think when these community goals complete and i think they, they look like they were going to they were going to be given a massive capital ship base ship that was going to be given to them to oh. not actually given to the players yeah. but as in, in part of the game lore it would be theirs and it would go off and do some research and things and so you know the, if you get involved in in the backstory in the lore and the community the elite you'll 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 start to see stuff turning up in game and recognition as well so they're, they're very involved mm. in that sort of thing um but yeah we sort of chipped in with the combat -y bit of that it's just go and kill a load of pirates in this particular system drop off the tickets yeah. at this particular base and we were trying hazardous results <laughs> it was quite a, quite touch and go uh, getting the hang of the combat there. I think I have got the weediest ship. I've fallen. I am at the back of the queue now in ah. the, uh, the in our little gang's uh, progression, as it were, because the nature of Elite Dangerous is the bigger ship is better. There's no it's the same with all these games. Well, I don't know. You could argue that in Eve uh, there is a role for Tech Two frigates and and you know smaller wings of bombers and yeah, there's a role. For certain them, sorts but... of cruisers have e good at electronic warfare or or recon or whatever. But in Elite Dangerous, it is just keep getting a bigger ship. Yeah, you know. A bigger ship is better than a smaller ship in every regard. Even the small... You'd think about manoeuvrability and, and dogfighting and stuff, but the very big ships have got fighter bays. Yeah. And also turrets. And there's, you know, there's not much you can do dogfighty-wise to avoid turrets in that game. No. <laughs> so, so generally bigger is better. But uh, I've reached a point with the Diamondback Explorer that I'm quite comfortable with now, because I'm very casual in that game. I don't put the hours in. I don't work my bank balance a lot. Um, you know, we get incidental good payouts for the stuff we're doing each Tuesday, and that's keeping me stable. And I'm I'm sinking a lot of my money into donation missions yeah. for Federation because I want to get to Earth eventually. And I'm about thirty, about halfway on the last rank of that now. So that will happen soon enough. I think I'll still be interested by the time that happens. So we'll probably need got more goals beyond that. I like the engineers. I like the idea of the engineers. We'll get those all unlocked. And, and, and you know, <laughs> because <laughs> essentially I'm a sort of PVE questing care bear at heart, and this seems to fit that kind of gameplay style in in Elite Dangerous. Yeah. So. Yeah, but yeah, we were doing some dogfighting stuff. I think we had a few people in the fighters using the multi crew. I, I was in there dying back exploring. My God, some of these, some of these, some of these wings of anacondas coming in and firing off everywhere are quite terrifying. <laughs> um, federal gunships, <sighs> don't go one on one with those in a dying back explorer is quite hard work. 
But um, yeah, I, I, I didn't get killed, but I think I was down to 30% hull at one point before I managed to bug out. <laughs> stuff sparking everywhere, the sirens going, oh um, God, I've got to run Stuff away. in your ship sparks way before <laughs> you think it should. <laughs> it's the, it's the uh, Starfleet Academy School of Panel Design, yeah. isn't it? Well, we'll put the explosives under here. Yeah. Um, well, the argument for that is it's the only way captains take any situation seriously. <laughs> Yes, but uh, no, really enjoying enjoying that. I mean, not enjoying it so much that I play a lot on my own. I do the occasional drop in and do a mission now and then, but it's it's very much about the camaraderie of the the Tuesday nights yeah. and the, the the wing combat for me. We do we do quite well on these. But um, yeah, so probably a bit of marketing, a bit of trading next. Um, get that shield guy unlocked, and then we can start getting shield modded stuff. Yeah, that should be good because you know shields. Help you not die. It's true. Uh, I like the biweaves. That's the low overall but high recharge rate ones. Yeah, I've, I've been playing with those. Yeah, those are good if you're a hull tanker, which I generally am. Usually, <laughs> usually if I'm fighting, I will stuff the all the internal bays with hull reinforcements just to really bump the the no un, unshielded hit points up as much as possible. And that really does help you give gives you time to get the hell out. You know, <laughs> it's a nice little buffer. It is very important. Very good. Although what you call buffer, the rest of us call the back half of the ship. <laughs> Probably nothing important. <laughs> yeah, just fill the ship full of polyfiller before you go out. You know, it's the way. Well, yeah. if you fill it full of that fire retardant foam, yeah, you yeah. might catch fire. Or just to deploy the airbag before you even launch. Yeah, you know, it's, it's there. Yeah. You don't have to have the explosive. Yeah, it's good. So yeah, still playing that, still enjoying it a lot. Over to you. I finished Thimbleweed Park. Finished it. Yeah, you haven't had that that long. A couple of weeks, okay. a month. Right. Maybe more. <laughs> I haven't been playing solidly. It's not that long a game, but it is longer than you think. Okay. All the way through, you're thinking, oh, this is only a four or five hour game. And then after a while, you're thinking, actually, this is a proper game. I honestly have no idea about expectation. I'm trying to think how long Monkey Island and, and it's ill. They're not that long. They weren't that long. No, you they? can black through them quite quickly. I think they seemed longer because you would genuinely get stuck and have I to really admit, think about I've it. I've been for genuinely periods. getting stuck in this. Okay, yeah. And mostly avoiding looking up solutions. Well, this is it. I mean, this modern day and age, it's if you find a little walk through, you could probably black through it in three, know, four hours. Two hours Maybe yeah, it's yeah. still quite long. I think. I suppose, well, lot, that was gameplay back then. That was longevity. The idea, not not so much working through the game itself, would take the time. It's it's getting resolving the puzzles and problems. You know, that thinking about it on your own time yeah. type aspect of it, which you know, I don't think you get so much nowadays. It is, you know, you got waypoint markers, you got quest trackers, you got big yeah. world maps with hatched areas. You know, instead of you need to charge this battery, it's a go here, charge this battery. Yeah, most most games will just tell you what to do repeatedly and it's, it's a question of executing it and that's not so bad if the gameplay itself requires some skills yeah. but if the gameplay requires no skills and the thinking about it has been taken out of your hands as well then yeah I suppose you start to ask questions about what is a game. Oh we're back into that conversation. <laughs> is this a film you know <laughs> yeah. interactive movie whatever. I refer everyone back to uh, Uncharted and the whole uh, yeah actually is this just a story we're watching or interacting with mm. yeah. But how difficult was the parkouring and the fighting in that? Not really. Yeah, well, yeah. That's, this is it. Uh, the parkouring and fighting in the Mooweed Park are easy. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is it. The, the old point-and-click adventure. You didn't have anything in the way of dexterity. But, I mean, occasion, yeah. It might be the occasional timed puzzle here and there, but largely it is a, a mental game, not a, not a uh, reflex game. There, was only, there were a couple of timed bits, but they were basically a case of do something repeatable quickly enough and one of them took me a couple of times of doing it to figure out what to do but that repeated quick enough that it wasn't a problem yeah, yeah. and the other one i'm thinking of i did everything that needed to be done before the time i ran out comfortably so the games of that style and yeah. that era were largely mental exercises yeah. they were entirely puzzle based and like i've said before this isn't obtuse okay this isn't you know, but it just doesn't use crazy moon logic. The moon to, logic. <laughs> the, the, this is actually a nice, friendly. It most of the stuff is logical. Some of it is probably a little bit weird. You have to read every bit of text and understand what you're reading. To give you all look the at the descriptions, need. and it is there. And when I got got stuck a couple of times and looked it up and gone back and looked at the description, I said, "Oh yeah, that is actually signposted." I just missed the signpost. Yeah, yeah. So the whole thing made sense within its own yeah. internal. Yeah, yeah. Did you say that there was different modes to this? There's thing? two modes. I've not played it in easy mode. I played it on difficult mode, or okay. 
or whatever they called it, I forget. Um, the all of the puzzles are their mode. There's yeah, also yeah. an easy mode, which I think just cuts out an awful lot. But I'm going to play it again on it just to see what the to see what it's like. like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think it just cuts out a lot of the steps on the puzzles. Okay. Like I know from what people have described, there's a puzzle where you have to get some ink. But to get the ink, you have to get some ash out of a fireplace, which means burning something in the fire, which means creating fire and blah, 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 step back till you get the problem solved. And in the easy mode, it's just a case of you find ink. <laughs> Fair enough. So Which, they sort of bypass a lot of it. Yeah, and I think the, the ones they've bypassed are the harder puzzles. The ones that are a little, little yeah. less intuitive, I suppose. Yeah. If it's obviously that A and B need to be used together, that puzzle is still there. Yeah. If it's A and B need to have C, D, E, and F done to them, <laughs> yeah. then that's been okay. collapsed down, I believe. So it's an interesting choice. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you're trying to market. So the people who loved the old LucasArts stuff in yeah. the olden days who were fine with Moon Logic and, yeah. and can follow it a bit themselves, but also a newer generation of gamers who are perhaps not quite so, perhaps are more not easily quite, frustrated. I yeah, don't know. not quite so patient because you do have to be patient still because you are going to get frustrated. You're going to hit a point where in other games I would stop playing and I would get annoyed. But because it's an old point-and-click <laughs> adventure, I know that that's what I've set, got myself in for. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like with um, 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 the island game, The Witness. The Witness, yes. Um, yeah. yeah, you're expecting on that when you're playing it to get stuck. Yes. And getting stuck is not a problem. I did, in the end, look up one spoiler, yeah. mostly because I had reached the end of my, <laughs> my frustration. But if you're playing, say, Halo, yeah. or Uncharted, or Gears of War... You wouldn't or, expect something like that to come Yeah, you, if, if you get to a bit where you're stuck... The game developers have gone wrong. Yeah, yeah. It depends what you're expect. What is the basic nature of the game? If if mental puzzles and logic and and reasoning are the basic game play mode, then you have to expect that those then, are going to then be. Then there's going to be some. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be some difficult stuff. Then you're going to have to think about it, work your way through the problem, look for more clues, whatever. But if if you come across something, some some rubber chicken with a pulley in the middle type problem in the middle of a of a Halo run through, then <laughs> I've been trying to buy a rubber chicken with a pulley in the middle. <laughs> I just want to. Does anyone know what the rubber chicken and the pulley in the middle is? It would just. It will definitely show your age if you do. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, so it is about expectation. This is why, yeah, this is why people get so cross about the vehicle level. Yeah. Yeah. Or the sudden timed quick time exercise. You know, if if what you're doing is by people, do you mean me? (laughs) (laughs) Me too. I mean, yeah. If if you're suddenly presented with something that is utterly at right angles to the basic game experience in the middle of something you're enjoying, you're rightly going to get quite cross. I must finish that final mission on Halo for my last place. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like Thimbleweed Park's sort of internally consistent. It's internally consistent. All the way through. Well designed. Very very well written. Um, also, it does a nice thing where it, normally I would say that this is a problem, but in this it isn't. Where the first section is quite long, yeah. second section shorter, mm. and they get shorter and shorter and shorter until there's one section which is just one scene, and okay. then it starts getting longer again. But that's more of a sort of story narrative yeah. resolution, and it actually and... works quite well because I've for a while been was thinking I've almost finished this, yeah, and then it turned out I hadn't because there's another uh, bit coming. Yeah. But each new bit they added on was shorter, yeah. Because to start with, uh, you're trying to solve a murder. Yeah. And then, no spoilers, but you solve it. Well, somebody gets arrested for that murder. But that's not the end of the story. And that's not the end of the story. Does it? Is the story good? See, this is the danger with something like, you know, Insane Moon Logic, LucasArts game, that on the one hand, you're trying to tell a narrative story that is entertaining and makes sense and, and consistent. But on the other hand, the player is having to stop every every two minutes to spend about five or ten minutes looking for a rubber chicken with a pulley in the middle. And by the time you've done this this sort of arbitrary moon logic puzzle, do you, you've forgotten who, what you were doing, who the characters um, are, the, the tension's dissipated entirely. No, because there's very little tension in it. Because it, okay. it, instead of it following a narrative, yeah. you're piecing together what's happened. Because okay, so you're either trying to solve a crime or later on trying to figure out what happened about another thing. Which works well with this sort of format, Yeah, I guess. you're basically investigating. So mm. you're, you're at no point do you feel, oh, I should be racing forwards to do this in time, but yes. I'm stuck doing this. Which, which is, happens quite a lot. Well, that yeah, that, that particular... That's the Skyrim issue. The Skyrim problem, yeah. And also Witcher 3, yeah. apparently. The, you know, there's this big ongoing life or death drama thing going on, but you can come back yeah. anytime. There's know. a war about to kick off, but I'm yeah, going to go yeah. sort out this village because, you know... I mean, Skyrim heart. sort of attempts to force the issue by having dragons attack you every every sort of fifth time you map travel, that kind of thing, just yeah. to keep you on, on focus. But but yeah, if, but with, with a point-and-click adventure, it's much more narratively driven because the gameplay itself isn't the core thing it's uh, i suppose yeah 
Yeah, but in this case, it, it's all it, you're passive to the story. Yeah, you're sort of coming along afterwards and trying to piece, find out what yeah. happened. Rather yeah, you, than you're trying to find out who was this person, why was he killed, hmm. and what has happened to the town? Why did this uh, business shut down? All of these things. What happened to this person? So the story is there, but you essentially are a spectator. Yeah, and, and, unravel, and uncovering more of it. That, that, that's probably why police procedurals work quite well I think as, so. as a narrative form. Yeah, you, anyway. can, you can control the pacing so much easier. Yeah, yeah, because the, the the drama has all happened in one go, and you're, it's the story. You know, the, the 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 episode itself is about revealing the story well, through the narrative of the take, investigators. Take the pinnacle of narrative storytelling on TV. Yeah, which is Miss Summer Murders. <laughs> Here we go. Where the murder's in the first five seconds. Yeah, yeah. And then the rest of the time is them trying to solve the murder with more murders going every so often just for an ad break. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's a, it's a useful narrative form. When Shakespeare came up with that <laughs> form of storytelling, he knew what he was doing. Police procedural. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah. So what, something else I was thinking about. Is this the dawn of a whole new rebirth of the genre or is, no. this, is this a one-off nostalgic this this is a one-off by ron gilbert who and i don't think that if anyone but ron gilbert came along and did it it would have half the uh impact or be half as good so you don't think anyone cares or wants more of this stuff it was just a hey remember monkey island that was good yeah it's not going to re re uh, rejuvenate the genre you may get some other people trying to do it but because it's him mm. because he can call back to so many I hate to say it's the um, uh, Big Bang Theory school of comedy. Yes. Which is, do you remember this thing? Yeah. We all laughed out. Look, they mentioned this thing. Yeah. Which, you know, it's lots, not a joke. Lots it's of callbacks. So there's lots and lots of callbacks to old games, old Sierra games, old uh, uh, Lucas uh, games, games. Yeah, yeah. Or LucasArts games. Uh, and um, you couldn't get away with that again. So it would have to be something new. But is the form, is the point-and-click adventure with the little grid of verbs in the corner and your inventory and stuff, Is, is and the 2D people wandering around, is, I, I are we going to see much more of that? No. Uh, you'll get the odd indie pe person putting one out, but it's not going to go mainstream because it's still niche. And it, it so went it's a away massive, for, it is a big nostalgia thing. It is a big nostalgia mm. thing. And a lost hurrah for the genre potentially. We've a lot of that lately. The, the, the kickstarts for occasional rebirths of old long-dead genres, yeah. things like Pillars of Eternity and... Um, elite. Numenera. Yeah, Elite. Yeah, I mean, Thimbleweed Park is that for Monkey Island. I mean, it's like everyone's sort of harking back to fond childhood gaming memories now that a lot of us are starting, you know, in our yeah. 40s or getting there. Well, I think the difference is the point-and-click adventure... Mm without wanting to ruin it for anybody, was not that many companies doing the good ones. Mm. Well, I think Delphine, Sierra... Yeah, yeah you had the Sierra, you had the LucasArts, you, you had the Simon the Sorcerers, you had the uh, Discworld, mm. you had the Police Quest, Space Quest. All of these actually spread out over 20, 30 years. But there was only like four or five yeah. different companies doing them. Whereas things. Space Games, one of the reasons why Space Games died was everyone was doing them, and there was just too many of them. Mm. Yeah, and, and the ones yeah. who don't remember. Yeah, and people. Well, you had I War and Tacky on Tacky on the Fringe, and well, there's, there's a load. Of, yeah, some games good, some games bad, <laughs> but uh, uh, there was just lots and lots of them. And then the individual sales dropped down on all of them. And I think that's what possibly killed the space sim in the end. I think just generally, as gamers, we're, we're often in search of the new experience, the oh. new form. So yeah, yeah. No, it's really good, and it's possibly going to be my game of the year. Okay. Because cool. I can determine that. At the, I haven't even begun to think about that. It's like months away. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is that good, and I don't see that I'm going to get around to playing any other games. Mm, right. <laughs> that probably says more about you than, than the game. No, I, 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 I don't know if anything else is going to come out which is going to affect me quite as much. Mm -hmm. And it is purely nostalgia. I don't know how someone who didn't play these games back in the day well, would react to this game. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the other thing, isn't it? If you never, if you've no idea what Monkey Island is, then uh, you're going to get a lot out if of it. If you played the re-releases of Monkey Island recently, well, in the last decade, mm. on Xbox and don't know if they came out on PS4, and you liked them, you'll like this. If you played them back in the day and you think you liked them, then you will definitely like this because it, it, it fixes all those things. With. But if you're coming at them uh, blind, I have no idea if somebody would like them. Mm. I hope they would, but it's maliciously old. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> it's got the old clunky UI. It's got... Oh, and unap unap unapologetic, apparently. Yeah, unapologetically old. Yeah, yeah. And uh, small things. Oh, turn on subtitles in the game. It made all the difference. 
because I what was missing? I was playing along and lovely all oh, voice, fully voiced. Yeah, and I realised he wasn't putting the subtitles on the screen, and no, that they felt never had wrong voice, to me. They never had voice stuff back then. That oh, was... they did on the CD releases. Well, yeah, yeah. not the full thing, surely. Sam Max did. Okay. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, the, the traditional experience is the text. Yeah, the and you uh, the text came out. It's just odd. Just a bit in my back of my brain was saying something's not right here. <laughs> um, until the point I turned it on, and then oh, that's what it was. Mm. So yeah, very good game. I like it. Cool. Don't know if you will. Okay. I know you will, but I don't know if you. I'll will. probably keep an eye out, grab it at some point. Yeah, and then rave about it. Hooray! I've discovered this fantastic thing. Like you know, in seven months' time. Two years, I reckon. Three years, three months, yeah. whatever. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I had to talk about Divinity: Original Sin. Okay. Yes, I'm. I've, I've been playing that quite consistently. I sort of sat down and I saw all these scattered desktop icons and thinking, oh, I should probably finish some of these. And I thought, right, I'm going to pick that one because I'm doing quite well, gotten quite far, and I know what will happen. I'll just sort of, you know, peter out somewhere two thirds the way in and then never come back to it. Yeah. Not know what was going on when I get when I do. So I thought, no, I'm going to knuckle down and actually focus on this one. So I've been playing it quite extensively and relatively exclusively in my spare time. So yes, it's it's your Baldur's Gate style of thing. It's it's such a very well made game. It's it's you know the production value is high. The voice works brilliant. The the gameplay itself. I mean yeah, obviously you got the Baldur's Gate running around little little circles under the people, visiting towns yeah. and monster lairs and so on, looking for treasure traps, all that. But the, the what they've done with the combat is really quite interesting and and fascinating. It's it's turn based, so you get your little pip, action pips appear, yeah. and everyone gets a turn and can spend so many action points on doing different abilities or moving or whatever. But what they've done with AOE effects and environmental effects and interacting environmental effects is really quite fascinating. Things like Dumper, you can you can fire off a spell that uh, that um, you know shoot an arrow that has a big cloud of green poisonous gas around an area, and it'll, everyone in it will start taking poison damage over time. But if you drop a fire spell in there, that fly, that that cloud will explode. Okay. Turn into, fire, into nice. a fire area. Uh, water puddles will electrocute if you fire lightning into them. That kind of thing, and the idea, you know, and and so working the terrain and the map itself is as much a part of combat as, as attacking the enemies and prioritizing targets and so on. There's spells which will clear the field of, of lava and fire damage and all the rest of it. Um, there's a lot of crowd control stuff that's very important. Knockdowns, stuns, blinds, uh, stuff charming. That that's been really good for me. Actually, that's yeah. been really useful all the way through. Is the there are charm arrows, there's like a charm grenade, a sort of love potion grenade AOE blast thing, and also a direct spell that will do it. And they it will literally turn a creature to your side and it starts acting in your turn nice. sequence and attacking the enemies. And and depending on what you hit with that, it can really transform. I was stuck with one particular boss fight where there was like a massive demon thing and a whole load of hulking cyclops monsters with it and a few caster charming ones as well. It, the hulking cyclops monsters, they were absolutely pasting me. Because they hit really hard, but they've got quite a low will save, yeah. you know, as is traditional. Big, strong monsters are rarely, rarely all together up there. So, uh, Just sizest. It's it's very yes it's, it is a real trope that the uh, the large physical creatures are, are very vulnerable to mind control. But I was glad it was there because a couple of uh, charm arrows and they just turned around and absolutely wailed on the boss and killed him. So <laughs> you know this fight I'd have been having it was a really complicated fight with the boss. Uh, every t every t there's a load of chained spirits one in each corner of the room four of them and every every time they got a turn they would completely heal from scratch all the way to full the boss. Yeah. So you have to sort of dismantle. The, the enemies in the right sort of sequence to, to get it through uh, but and yeah just charming two of these giant cyclops monsters they just wailed in and they were so utterly overpowered in melee combat that they just <laughs> flattened him in one turn killed him before the chain spirits could heal him at all so, so that worked quite well but yeah the the narrative's interesting, and it's not like we were talking about, you know, the stories holding your hand and directing you from A to B. I got it completely wrong. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I, I think I visit, I missed two or three different dungeons, and I visited different places in the wrong order and had to go back and find some other <laughs> stuff to do to unlock this, that, and the other. Oh. So, so, well, it wasn't, it wasn't, I mean, there are whole, whole sections I just completely skipped over. I, I'm at what I believe to be the final fight now. You know, it's all the story itself's come to quite a climax, and I've killed quite a number of small, lesser lieutenants and are now homing in on the boss which is an, an evil sorceress who's been sort of plaguing me throughout these these lands it's not a huge game i mean there are three overland maps 
But those maps are so utterly full of every, every single yeah. corner is full of something interesting, and the fight and just there's no real concept of yard trash in this game because of the way the fighting is so involved and technical and takes time to get through. It's, I've been playing it for you know a couple you know, several months, and and I'm st- <laughs> there is only three maps. There's a, a bunch of side caves and things as well, but three main overland maps. And yes, I've been sort of working through the the inevitable. Hi, you, you, it turns out you were a lot more than you remember type uh, subplot story yeah. thing going on. But that's not that's been handled well enough for its type. It doesn't it doesn't sort of you know hand wave everything and oh yeah you were you were so and so all along. It's it more of a journey of self discovery that you unlock as you work your way through the the main sort of in world story going on. But also this story with you and your, your the two characters that you've created at the start and who who and what they actually turn out to be, which is fascinating. Um, and it's all coming together in quite a a satisfying sort of denouement I think you know yeah. I've got, I imagine I've got some really awkward boss fight to do at the end I mean I'd be I'd, it'd be bonus marks if you could just kill the end boss with dialogue but you know not everything's Planescape Torment no <laughs> <laughs> but it's this it is really it's engaging it's it's well thought out the game systems work well and, and with each other some very good voice acting which you know you don't get a lot of these days no nope. <laughs> um, and I'm just really enjoying the journey I'll be sad when it's over you're sort of developing up your various classes, and they they go in. You can choose. You can multi-class all your characters. They're, they're essentially, you pick from like about nine different class skills, and you can mix and match them together to tailor the character to yeah. be how you want. And those those classes come in sort of novice, adept, and uh, master ranks. And by the time your character party reaches sort of level sixteen or twenty or so. You're unlocking access to these master ability skill books and whatever, and they really are utterly overpowered <laughs> game changers for fighting. But then you are fighting some insanely powerful stuff at the top end as well. It's very easy. And I've talked about it before. It's very easy that for those fights to suddenly ch- change or, yeah. or suddenly go wrong. If your if your main tank and key melee damage dealer suddenly get knocked over or, or petrified or or charmed even, God forbid, they just start turning around and wailing on you and killing your wizards in one hit per go and stuff. It can suddenly go. You've really got to be on the ball and focus and understand how the game works. It's got quite a steep learning curve. I remember the first sort of couple of the first couple of weeks I was playing it. The, the early early areas you've got to tackle in a very specific order in line with your yeah. initial power creep. But then you start to get more abilities, more diversity. You start to get better gear, and, and you know you start to feel more capable and confident of moving forward at the right place. And of course you start to understand the tricks and the quirks. And I, I don't want to call them exploits because I imagine that. that it's fine to use these skills the way they're designed you know but there are certain ways to use certain abilities that that work well and there are ways to use your abilities or pick skill picks that work really badly which is it's such a strange thing but that is really quite unusual yeah yeah you know because the power the power distribution curve and creep in most characters going through most long story based games is, is a very prescribed thing you go from place to place to place i mean yeah okay open world even open world games your, your, your ubisoft open worlds and whatever there'll be whole sections oh, of yeah. locked off abilities yeah. you can't climb high enough to do this that and the other or you haven't unlocked this part of the, or map, like or, the gateway open yeah or... exactly you, your, your grappling hook isn't powerful enough to, to attack things that are too powerful for you the idea that you can be let loose in a world where you will get stomped if you go the wrong <laughs> way it's quite unusual but then with that comes a lot more personal responsibility for understanding how your abilities and your class yeah. work which you know generally you're given the stuff and it works and you get on you go but you have to really sort of practice with this stuff to get to get a grasp of how the, the different environmental effects interact or, or you know in what ordering you want people to go and so you know buffing their initiative and their speed stats will make them have a higher or lower appearance in the turn sequence okay yeah so i found that having the marksman high up because naturally obviously they're dexterity based but you can buff their their speed and, and initiative as well to make them go first and that often, so often the gear the gear synergizes with a high turn order yeah. which means that the marksman is then best placed to open the fight with charm arrows or, or massive sudden aoe air you know long-term effects then you can move in the, the tank and the wizards can support by summoning the various pets and whatever. You start to build up a bit of a, a standard routine and then you find that your standard routine is utterly subverted by this new type of encounter that they've yeah. in the way. Yeah. You know, there are very different ways to deal with it. It's not just, right, okay, open fire with the archer, then in goes the, you know, the melee and we'll follow up with fireballs, you know. You'll come across creatures who are utterly immune to particular damage types or, or require totally different strategies. It's, it's a really clever and well thought out game. I mean, I've got the enhanced edition 
nominations. So I don't know how much of, of it is is you know game of the year. I don't know game of the year tweaking <laughs> and patching and so on. But certainly where it is now is is a very good place. I seen Divinity Original Sin Two is in early access. Oh yeah. Um, and if it's just more of the same, that would be good. But yeah. I don't do early access on principle really. I'm I'll be quite looking forward to seeing that when it uh, actually comes out though. So uh, yeah, very I recommend that highly. I probably quite close to finishing it. And again, it's one of these where I don't think I'll bother playing it again much afterwards. I mean, there, there's bits I've missed, I know, but then it's again, it's not the sort of game where you it is a linear progression and you have to hit every single thing. There's a lot of side stuff that you maybe do need to do or don't need to do. I sort of found myself coming back to some of the side stuff I'd missed and uh, totally overpowering it because it's now <laughs> like four levels higher than I should have been. That was quite satisfying as yeah. well, but. But yeah, very very satisfying game, and and really, to be honest, I think I enjoyed it more than I ever remember enjoying Baldur's Gate and similar oh, you know, back in the day, because it is it is smarter and cleverer and and you know better looking and all these things we've learned over the years, but is still the familiar old format, you know. Yeah. So I, I'm liking that a lot. I'm be quite glad to get it finished though, not because I'm not enjoying it. I am. I want to play other stuff as well. I got I got. Pillars of Eternity and uh, Tides of Torment, Numenera thing as well. Both of those I want to try. They're very similar sorts of Incredibly games. Incredibly similar sorts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I really sort of quite enjoy the, <laughs> the old, ye oldie Baldur's Gate style of thing still. So so looking forward to replacing Divinity with one yeah. of those when, when cool. I get done with it. Good times. Recommend it a lot. So I'm done. Okay. Um, yes, so... End of the episode. Uh, you can go along to howtomurdertime.com and find um, the audio version of this, which is what you're listening to now. Because ah. this won't be on the video version. Right. Because I'm not going to put this on the video version. You're doing something weird with yeah. the format again. I'm going to be, I'm, the video version of the podcast for uh, going onwards is going to be cut down to the, to the individual games we talk about ah. to make it easier for people to find and to make it not be an hour long. So Bite size. Bite size, yeah. So it'll be all of the content, but just in three times a week or four times a week or whatever <laughs> uh, to make it easier installments installments is there a binder with part one there will be a binder with part one no the binder comes with part three <laughs> clever clever uh yeah uh, or, or you can keep listening to this normal podcast as normal because this isn't going to change uh go along to give us a like on youtube give us a review on itunes and whatever tell your friends about us because there must be somebody who hasn't heard of us <laughs> <laughs> uh, and join us next week when uh, we'll be back with the book review podcast finally it is yes which to had to be delayed due to mm. issues with computers and issues with Te families technology and stuff yeah, yeah. Uh, so we'll be back talking about Neuromancer William Gibson's seminal cyberpunk mm. classic so we'll see you there see you later <laughs>